0: But yeah, hey, I just want to recap last week. You know, we're at this, in this two-part series um, about uh, art and, uh, and creation. And Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Jared did a phenomenal job uh, last week. Give them a big round of applause for um, just coming and preaching. Uh, they talked about how we're created in the image of God. You know, God has this, this uh, characteristic about him. He has many, but one of them is that he's a creator and, uh, and so, you know, there's this kind of, kind of this idea that, you know, we all start off with this, this blank canvas, right? And so, uh, when, when we're born and, and, you know, what happens is, um, you know, throughout the years, our canvas, it's, it's kind of filled in and filled in. And then one day, there's a funeral, right? And w- the great thing about the funeral is your canvas, it gets brought out on that day. And your canvas is shown off. And for some, some of us, about 10% of our canvas kind of gets something draped over it, right? Tell that pardon. For some of us, it's like 50%. For some of us, maybe more or whatever. And so th- this whole idea of art and we're, we're this, this painting, we're this, this creation that God has made in, in his image. And I, I know that one thing Pastor Jeremy talked about last week was, hey, look, we're all gifted with something. We're all we all have some kind of talent gifting or ability, and, um, and it may not be this, all right? Because how many guys, it's not that, right? That, that's me, uh, the stick figures, man, me and you, Pastor Jeremy. Uh, I think we're pros probably at that. Um, and so just this whole idea of, hey, look, there's a reason for you. There's a reason that God's placed you on this earth. And, and so d- tonight I want to kind of pick up on that same thing, but I kind of want to take a little bit of a turn because, you know, here's the thing. You know, we know, as, as if you're a believer in the house tonight, you know that, hey, look, my life is not my own. Uh, my life is supposed to be designed. It's supposed to serve God. But the thing is, is, is sometimes that's a hard thing to do. And so tonight I want to talk to you guys about living the life that best serves God. Can you say that, you Say, I want to live the... Turn to somebody and say, I want to live the life that best serves God. I want to live the life that best serves God. If you guys want to get notes or something like that, um, you can share hashtags with meetmeatthebridge. I love that hashtag. That's so a cool hashtag. And uh, if you, you can email for notes and stuff or any, any questions you may have about the church at info at bridgechurch.cc. Uh, and so the whole idea of tonight is for us to take a sober look at at this question right here. I want to put put that question up, and it it goes like this. Do we want the life that best serves God, or do we want the life that best suits us? Do we really want the life that best serves God and His purposes and what He has for our lives? And do we want that that canvas, if, if you will, to, to paint the picture of God's story for our lives, or will we settle for, for, the, for the canvas, for the story, for the journey that best suits us? Because, you know, we know what the right answer to the question is, but we don't always know how to do it. We don't always see, um, you know, sometimes how, how, how hard that really and truly is. And so um, that's kind of the big question and, and emphasis for tonight is living the life that best serves God. And we want our life to point others in the direction of Jesus, to point others towards God. We want for us, ourselves, to be becoming like Jesus. We know that as believers, we want our life not just to be, you know, conforming into the image of God, but to also be pointing other people to God. You guys ever seen the signs that eat at Joe's, eat at Joe's, eat at Joe's, right? We want our lives to point to Jesus, right? To, to be this big light in a dark place that points other people to Jesus in our family and in our, in our work environments and all that stuff. And, and that can be a tough thing. Sometimes we want to settle for the life that suits us. And, uh, and so I know that, man, looking back, you know, it's easy to say, you know what? From now on, I want to live the life that best serves God. But looking back sometimes, you know, I mean, how many guys would say, if, if you look back 15 years, and, and you would say, man, I am nowhere where I thought I would be right now, right? 15, if you if you took me back in the time machine 15 years ago, and you said, this is where I'm going to be, I would probably not believe you, and sometimes God takes us in, in these places, and sometimes, you know, there's setbacks in our lives, and some things so easily keep us from living the life that, that God wants us to live, and and sometimes it's like, you know, we've got this painting and we're painting this canvas. And sometimes it's like we, we just do a little bump, like a little mess up on the canvas, on the story of our lives. And then sometimes it's like an earthquake happened while a three-year-old was painting, right? It was like, yeah, I've made a little mistake here, a little mistake here. And this one was like, Wah, all right, you know? And so you know, sometimes we have the little mess ups. Sometimes we have the big mess ups. I want to take a moment to talk uh, about tragedy tonight. And there's three different types of tragedy that, that we see, three different types of setbacks that we see. And, and the first one is this it would be at a national level, okay? So we've seen these things. This would be an example like 9 11, you know, a school shooting, uh, an economic crash, man. Sometimes there, there's setbacks on a national level that just affect everybody. And, and it's just such a, a, a tough thing. And, you know, one thing I noticed or thought about tragedies is, you know, the the thing about tragedies is tragedies make an incredible book. And they make an incredible movie. But you know what? For us to live through it, it's a whole other thing, isn't it? It's a tougher thing. And then to bring it in a little bit closer, um, we would go to to uh, to the local level. Um, of a tragedy. This would be like maybe, you know, the death of a teacher or student or something, and maybe on a local level what we're experiencing now, what some of you guys are experiencing with the hurricane. You know, some of us after the weekend was over, you know, maybe had to divert our traffic route, but for the most part our life went back to normal. But a lot of people, their life will not go back to normal for many, many years and, uh, and so that is a re- very real thing that I wanted to mention and to talk about because, um, you know, that's the whole reason for this, uh, how you can help sheet uh, um, because things are happening on a local level. And, and then there's more of the personal level. There's more of the personal level of he or she did something, I did something, you know, I'm the one that messed up, or someone bumped my arm when I was painting, you know, whatever it may be, my canvas got really messed up, and I would just love to drape something over that part. I would just love a redo over that part. Uh, and, And the thing about it is, you know, we know that in our lives, those inevitable detours, they'll come. And Jesus, Jesus told us those tough times would come. He said, Lo, I'll be, be with you always, even till the end of the age. So that's why some people say you're not supposed to ride in airplanes, because Jesus said, And, Lo, I will be with you always, even in the end of the age. Okay, bad joke. <laughs> Pretend I didn't say that. All right. Paint over that part. No, I'm kidding. So, you know, we know those, those detours and those roadblocks will come. King James Version, guys. All right. But, uh, you know, one thing that's, that's incredible that I know is that the thing about Jesus making us and shaping us and, and us being the clay and him being that potter it is that most often he smooths out those rough a- edges and those imperfections with friction. Have you noticed that? I mean, do you know how a diamond is cut, right? Most often, molding and shaping to become more like him, it doesn't happen in the mountains. It happens in the valleys and so many times uh, becoming more like him and him smoothing out those perfections refining us in the fire it comes with friction it comes with hard times and so tonight man I want to go to a scripture and and the thing is we need to know these things we know we need to know how to react when difficult times come we need to know how to to navigate in those rough waters how to respond in those things. And and it's like, you know, we're steering our ship and we know our family's on our ship and and there's so much at stake and we want to live the life that God has for us. But we need to know how because there is so much at risk for us. And so we're going to go to the Bible tonight. I hope you guys are excited. To, to go to the Bible, if I'm just going to take a moment and just hug my Bible, if you got a Bible, just give it a big hug. Because, man, the Bible speaks life to... Hey, I'm not ashamed to hug my Bible in front of you people. The, the Bible has so much uh, joy and so much life to give us. And it's probably the most loved but also the most hated book. Do you realize that? And uh, this is not a book that man could have written. This is a book that God inspired uh, authors, I believe it's 40, I may be wrong at that, to, to write, and he, he inspired them. Because here's the thing, if I made up a religion, it would be eat jelly beans until you're full, and then you die and go to heaven, right? And But the thing is, only God could have written this book. I mean, you know, it was predicted that Jesus would, would go to the temple, but the temple was torn down in AD 70. How could anyone have timed that out? This is a book that is inspired by God, and it's filled uh, full of letters, and and so we're going to go to that, and one thing I love about the Bible that I do want to point out is the Bible pulls no punches. You know, the Bible tells us an uncensored story of the people in this Bible's life, right? Because you tell me a, a biblical hero, a biblical figure, and sh- show me their life, and, and we can find, if we read hard enough, somewhere their life was messed up, right? And the Bible didn't cover that up. It says, hey, Moses, he led millions of Israelites out of slavery from 400 years of bondage. But you know what? Before he did that, before he left town, you know what he did? He murdered somebody, and he buried him in the sand. And then he became a shepherd for 40 years. I mean, you know, and, and David, man, he was an awesome king. He wrote a much of the Psalms, but... If we read and we look, you know, the Bible doesn't cover up the fact that he messed up a lot of his life. You know, he committed adultery. He sent uh, her husband to the front lines of the battle to, to be killed. I mean, and, and so, you know, I love the fact that there's jacked up people in the Bible. Anybody just messed up, right? And you're like, oh my goodness, you read this and you're like, I'm so glad that they didn't skim over that part of his life because... I am so messed up, too. But we're going to go to uh, Galatians uh, 2 and verse 20. Galatians 2 and verse 20. And so there's three different questions that we're going to ask tonight and kind of put the things that we go through in our life through this lens. And the first one is, uh, and I'll recap over these, what does Christ want me to do? What does God want me to do? What does he want to do in me? And what does he want to do through me? So we'll get back to that. But let's go to Galatians 2 and verse 20. And we'll kind of uh, uh, emphasize different parts of this as as we read tonight. But this is Paul writing. And Paul wrote much in the New Testament. You guys know all about Paul, I'm sure. He had an incredible uh, conversion and, uh, and Jesus met him, changed him, and, uh, and he began to do a great work for Jesus. And so he writes to the Galatians church, he says this, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me all right and so the first thing we got to do and when, when we want to say i want to be conformed in the image of jesus right i want to live the life that best serves god despite all else despite what would come my way despite the fact that i can look and say well god i, I thought that job was going to last forever i thought it would be there i thought this person would be there forever or i thought this this event would never happen to me i've seen it happen to other people but here it is happening to me, despite all of that, living the life that Christ uh, calls us to. Not the life that suits us and suits our comfortability, but the life that best serves God. Uh, the first question we've got to ask is, what does Christ want me to do? What does Christ, well, what does He want me to do in this situation? Because there is an action point when tragedies and when hard times come up that He wants us to do and uh, in Galatians 5, verse 24, it says this. It says, all those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. All those that belong to Christ. One thing that he wants us to do in those situations is he wants us to crucify our flesh. He wants us to have friendships that, that edify us and that spur us on to righteousness, yes, He wants us, um, you know, a a friend of mine said this one time. He said, God doesn't want to wound your pride. He wants to kill it. And so when we're going through the ringer and he's refining us in the fire, we've got to look and say, what does God want me to do in this situation? And the one thing that I know, in Galatians 5 it says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. We've got to crucify the flesh And uh, we had a youth event this past Friday night. And one of the things that uh, the pastor, his name was Brad, said, he said, you know, when when the Israelites were groaning about being taken out of Egypt, they wanted to go back to Egypt. And and they were resorting to saying, hey, let's go back to slavery, right? And he said, you know, sometimes the the reason that going back to slavery looks so appealing is because it's the familiar thing to do. Right? And that's so many times why we go to habits and, and hang ups and all these different things because we're going through the ringer. We look for something to comfort us. But Paul says, those of us that belong to Christ, we don't have, uh, we, we can't resort to that option. We've got to crucify our flesh. And positionally, we know that, yes, in, in relationship to God, our, our flesh, if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, positionally, Our our flesh is dead. It has been crucified. But how many of you guys know it wants to resurrect, right? It wants to resurrect. It wants to rule because we're still living this life in the body. And uh, and so we've got to keep that flesh crucified. So the first thing that that he wants us to do, when we ask the question, what does Christ want me to do? Well, he wants us to crucify the flesh. Death in me is life in them, right? And so the next question... We'll ask when we're going through a tough time, when we're going through a tragedy, maybe on a, on a national level, on a personal level, we're going through a hard time at work, whatever it may be, um, we've got to say, what does Christ want to do in me? Yes, he wants me to do something. He wants me to stand strong. He wants me to crucify my flesh. But what does he want to do in me through this thing? And if, if you go back to Galatians 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But what does it say? But Christ lives in me. So he's living in us. His Holy Spirit is empowering us. And so we've got to say, uh, what does he want me to do? Uh, Or what does he want to do in me? I want to go to uh, the story of Lazarus' death. Uh, You have Mary, you have Martha, and you have Lazarus. They were brothers and sisters. And uh, man, this, this is a tragedy. This is an event that happened with them. Uh, and so, you know, Mary, Martha, Martha and Lazarus, and then Lazarus has died, you know, right? And so Jesus wasn't there when it happened, and uh, we're gonna see how kind of Mary and Martha react to it and kind of glean some things from this. But it's in um, John 11 verse 17. It says, "On his arrival, who is he? Jesus. Say it loud and proud. On whose arrival?" Jesus was arriving on the scene, so we know something's going to change. We know something's going to get just a little bit better, right? It says on his arrival, he's bringing hope, right? Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, right? So even in those times, uh, there there was a sect of Judaism that believed that the spirit lingered over the body for three days, and so Jesus wanted to perform a miracle to disprove all that and to say, hey, look. None of that's happening. I'm God. This man was truly dead. Uh, He'd been in the tomb for four days. Verse 18. uh, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So that that was great. We see that there's people coming to comfort them. And uh, it says, Then when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, so someone told her news, she went out to meet him right she's like "All right, Jesus has arrived I've got to share some opinions and some of these opinions are strong it looks like with him and she went out to meet him but Mary stayed at home we don't really know why she stayed there we don't really know if it was because it just wasn't necessary she could have just been feeling numb you know you see different people react to death very differently some people may lash out some people may keep it in Uh, But anyways, in verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, Martha said to him, if you had been here, have you ever been there? Jesus, if you would have just been there, Jesus, why didn't you show up like I expected you to? This thing died. This thing, you know, my marriage died. The, The job went away. They relocated. Whatever it was, if you would have just been there, why weren't you holding me in the palm of your hand? Why have things gone from the pastel canvas to the black and white, right? If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And so she comes out to him, and, and she's a little bit sad, she's angry, she's frustrated. And, and she expresses that to Jesus. And she says, look, if you would have just been here, why didn't you show up the way that I thought you would? And, and we respond to, uh, to different tragedies in our life in, in much different ways. Number one, we cover it up any of you guys want to be so so bold to admit that when tough times come, you don't want to talk about it, you don't want to see anybody about it, you don't want it to be brought up, you just want to cover it up, right? That's how some people are. You call them internal processors. They just want to change the subject. They want to watch a movie. Let let me just turn on a show and put my feet up. I don't want to think about it. Maybe we tune it out and we don't want anybody to bring it up. And then I think kind of like Martha in this situation, Sometimes we lash out, right? We get angry. We may uh, even get vengeful or destructive. And, and we have this, you know, we almost, it's almost like shaking our fist at God. God, where were you when this happened? And, um, and so in, in, uh, in, in that passage, we see that. But I want to go back to Galatians 2 and verse 20. And so we we went over the part that Paul said, hey, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. We know we've got to crucify the flesh. And then we also know that, that we've got to let Jesus live in us. We've got to say, God, what do you want to do in me? You're living on the inside of me. Show yourself. Mold me. Make me more in your image because I want to live the life that best serves you, not that suits my comfortability. And then Paul says, the life... I now live in the body. The life I live in this, in this earth, on this physical earth, that life that I live, I live by, say it with me, faith, by dependence, by trusting in God. It almost brings like that word picture where you see someone hanging off a cliff on a rope. They have complete and utter dependence on that rope, that that thing is going to hold them up. That that thing is going to be there for them. So living by faith means this. It means a few things. Is uh, saying to God this prayer right here, saying, let my life not be the life that best serves me, God, but the life that best serves you. Can you guys say that out loud with me if it's not too weird? But this is, this is a prayer that we can say, let my life not be the life that best serves me, but the life that serves you. Man, I'm going to tell you what. I started praying that prayer about six years ago, and that is a scary prayer. And do not pray that prayer unless you mean it, because God will turn some things upside down. When you start saying, God, I want to live the life that best serves you, that's a scary thing. Because he may just answer it. Be careful what you pray for. So, So it means that. And, you know, one thing that I wanted to share with you guys is, I I want us to settle with the fact that God can use you. Be at peace with that fact that God can use your life. No matter how up to this point, if you think that canvas is totally wrecked. I mean, if it's not just some paint smears, but someone took a, a blade to it, and it's, right? And you just think, how could God ever love me? And on top of that, how could God ever use me? He absolutely can, and settle with the fact that, that He can use you. You know, the most valuable resource that this church has is not the buildings, is not the microphone, is not the computers, it's not even the children's ministry. The most, uh, the best resource that this church has is God's people. Do you believe that? It's God's people coming to confidence in the fact that God can use them. Hello. Does that happen every Thursday night? Boo. All right. We're going to write that guy a note. No blowing the horn around here. All right. Living by faith also means this. Living by faith means consistency. I believe that Christians should be some of the most predictable people on the face of the planet. And what I mean by that is when something goes wrong on a national level... That, that people will be able to say, oh, I know what the Christians are going to say about this. Or when, when something goes wrong within your family, oh, I know what Wrens is going to say about this. Because he loves Jesus. I, I think that we should be some of the most predictable people on the face of the planet. That when hard times hit, people can say, oh, I know that person. They're going to be a pillar. And, uh, and so living by faith, man, that... It means that d- dependence, that trust, that faith in Christ. And um, and I want to read Hebrews twelve, and verse two. And Ben, you guys can go ahead. We're going to close with a song tonight. But Hebrews twelve, and verse two. And um, you know, one thing before we read this, is you know, a lot of times in today's culture, you know, we'll wear a like a cross on our necklace, or I've even seen the, the manly tattoos of a cross and all that stuff. But, and that's fine, but in, in Jesus' days, when this stuff was written, that was not a, like, oh, wow, you know, this is such an awesome thing. You know, that one thing I was trying to, to get across to our middle schoolers is when, when, when Jesus said, um, take up your cross daily, we could, we could think of it like this. Take up your electric chair daily. Because in those times, that's what that was. It was punishment for somebody that had murdered, been a thief, whatever. I mean, that was their electric chair. And, you know, back in those times... You know, it it wasn't the motion, the cross, the motion background behind like the lyrics and stuff, right? Like it wasn't like this beautiful thing. We know it is today, but it wasn't back then when Jesus had to face it. And there's another thing that this verse will teach you about it. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So many times we beautify the cross and that's fine because of what, you know, on the other side of it, here we are, it is. but, But the Bible says that Christ scorned the cross. When he thought of the cross, he didn't think, "Ah, it's going to be a motion background in a song lyric one day." You know. He was thinking, "This is my electric chair," and he scorned its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Once it was all said and done, but why did he do that? Because of the joy set before him. That's why we're consistent. That's why Paul said the life I now live in the body, in the flesh, in this world, even though we live in a fallen world since creation got all messed up, I live by faith, dependence, consistency, trusting in the Son of God who loved himself, who gave himself for me. And so kind of the big idea, the thing that I want you guys to do tonight, and if you'll stand to your feet, is this, is to create an anchor Create an anchor. What is the anchor? If you guys, if, you, if you're able to, stand up on your feet. We're going uh, to go into a song. But to create an anchor. We need something to hold on to in those tough times. Despite everything else. Jesus, I want to live the life that best serves you. Not the life that best suits my comfortability. But how do we do that? We need to hold on to an anchor. And that faith is our mental state, but oftentimes it's exercised and walked out in boldness. We've got to have that boldness to hold on to our anchor. To have that peace in the midst of a storm and and that peace in the midst of anxiety. We've got to hold tightly and cling tightly to Jesus, our anchor. So I thought it was appropriate to sing this song tonight. Uh, Cornerstone, you guys may know it. Um, But I'm going to pray for us real quick.